1: This episode of Pass the Mic is brought to you by Compassion and Conviction, the AND Campaign's Guide to Faithful Civic Engagement. Stay tuned for a special interview with the authors Justin Gibney and Michael Weir later in the show. And don't forget that you can get Compassion and Conviction, the AND Campaign's Guide to Faithful Civic Engagement, right now, wherever books are sold. Dynamic Voices for a Diverse Church. This is Pass the Mic. Greetings and God bless. Welcome to another episode of Pass the Mic, Dynamic Voices for a Diverse Church, powered by The Witness, a black Christian collective. I'm your host, Tyler Burns. You can follow me on Twitter at Burns23, follow at your own risk. And I am so excited about today's episode because guys, we are approaching the first anniversary of of our first annual national conference, the Joy and Justice Conference, which took place last year in Chicago, Illinois at the historic Ebenezer Missionary Baptist Church. And I was reflecting on that beautiful time, especially in light of COVID, in light of everything that we've been facing. And so we wanted to throw it back. For those of you who attended, you know that it was a special time, not just because of the fellowship and the people who were there, but also because we received some world-class instruction and preaching in both the keynotes and also the plenary breakouts as well. And so today I wanted to throw something back here. Want to throw it back to one of those sermons that we heard from none other than the Reverend Dr. Nicole Massey martin dr martin she received her master of divinity from princeton theological seminary where she was the recipient of the jones prize in music and the swink prize in preaching think about that a double threat here (laughs) music and preaching she also serves as the national mobilizer with the american bible society where she oversees scripture engagement work in cities across the u.s she has been inducted into the prestigious dr martin luther king jr board of preachers at morehouse college She's also a gifted writer and author of books, Made to Lead, Empowering Women for Ministry, and Leaning In, Letting Go, a 2019 Lenten devotional through Chalice Press. Her writings have also been featured in USA Today, Christianity Today, and the Charlotte Observer. And finally, she is the executive director of Soulfire International Ministries, which focuses on empowering others to reach their full potential in Christ. Let me tell you, Dr. Martin is a powerhouse preacher and leader, and it was such an honor to be able to get to know her better and to understand how much she loves preaching, how much she loves serving others, and she, on that Saturday morning, delivered an incredible message on joy and the power of joy in the midst of struggle, in the midst of trial, And I felt like it would be appropriate because of this moment. We're not just facing a pandemic, but we're also facing a pandemic of racism and systemic injustice that we're seeing play out right before our very eyes. There's so many things that are happening around us. And so maybe you need a little bit of joy today. Maybe that's what you need. Maybe that's what's important to you And maybe this will be a word that will encourage you. And I pray you are blessed by the ministry of Dr. Nicole Massey Martin. I also want to remind you that we are again playing another snippet of our interview with the end campaign directors, Justin Gibney and Michael Weir. We want to encourage you to go out and get their book, Compassion and Conviction, The End Campaign's Guide to Faithful Civic Engagement. I hope that you're enjoying these little interview snippets. And hey, at the end of this, we're going to put it all together in one interview so that you guys can enjoy it as a long-form conversation. But in the meantime, I want you to sit back and listen to the powerful ministry, the anointed ministry of none other than the Reverend Dr. Nicole Massey Martin.
2: Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Oh, you may be seated in the presence of God. Can I just tell you, I hope you know that we are in a critical time, in a critical space, and this right here is a blessing. I, um, I, when, when I first got the email from Jamar, um, I, I confess that sometimes there are invitations that come and the first thought in my mind is well can I and does my schedule permit but when I first received this email from someone I respect from someone whose ministry I follow from a scholar and a teacher of mine I immediately thanked God for the privilege of this space I have seen the whole spectrum of what, um, not the whole spectrum, I've seen some of what God is doing. And I was telling Tyler, I have not ever seen a ministry as unique as the one the witness has. That in these times to find sound doctrine and yet have a clarifying justice is a rare combination. I've seen that in my sister, Ekimini, through Truth's Table, and I've seen that in my brother, Jamar, through the witness, and because of what God is doing through them, I'm humbled and honored to be in this place. And I thank God for this privilege. I am also very excited to be among my other friends, my friend Natasha Robinson, Christina Edmonds. I can't go through the list. I don't want to miss anybody's name. Just tell your neighbor, I'm so glad you're here. So glad you're here. So glad you didn't mean it. Okay, tell your other neighbor, maybe you'll mean it. So glad. I'm so glad you're here. I'm so glad you're here. And I am so, so, so honored to be here. Well, this, this theme of joy and justice leads me to a scripture that I want to share with you. It's Acts chapter 13. And I'd like to read starting at verse 44 through to the end, Acts chapter 13. I'm going to read from the New International Version. And again, just thank God for this conference, for um, Zena and all that she has done to make this work. Thank God for her. Thank God for her and for all of the sponsors of this conference and for the worship ministry. Thank God for you all, for the ways that you lead us into the presence of God. So Acts 13, I'm going to start with verse 44. Yes. On the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. When the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy. They began to contradict what Paul was saying and heaped abuse on him. Then Paul and Barnabas answered them boldly, "'We had to speak the word of God to you first. Since you rejected it and did not consider yourselves worthy of eternal life, we now turn to the Gentiles. For this is what the Lord has commanded us. I have made you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. When the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and honored the word of the Lord. And all who were appointed for eternal life believed. The word of the Lord spread through the whole region. But the Jewish leaders incited the God-fearing women of high standing and the leading men of the city. They stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from their region. So they shook the dust off their feet as a warning to them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. I want to share just briefly, uh, as part of our reflection, reclaiming joy. Reclaiming joy. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much, again, for the privilege of what you have designed here. Thank you for all that it took for all of us to be in this space right now. And we believe, Lord, that you have made this holy ground. So we take off any shoes that would keep us from getting to you. We take off any barriers that would keep us from acknowledging your presence, and we thank you, God, that your word will not return to you void. So have your way. Do what only you can do. In Jesus' name we pray. Let the redeemed of the Lord say, amen, amen, amen. There is so much in our world that threatens to steal our joy. And one of the ironies even of the title of this conference is the irony of joy and justice. That's like saying joy while fighting or joy in the midst of a war. It's like presuming that something painful can actually be fun. That doesn't sound fun to me at all. And when you think about it, There's so much in the fight for justice that threatens to steal our joy. It seems like every single time we take a step forward, there is a push that pushes us two steps back. Just when we rejoice over um, someone being exonerated, it seems like someone else is unfairly imprisoned. Just when we begin to think we're making strides, someone else is, 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 whose life is taken shamelessly as we've already heard. and And literally, even in our own lives, in our own jobs, when you begin to push for what you believe is right, it seems like the automatic reaction is one that threatens to steal your joy. How many times in our struggle for what was right have we struggled also with depression? How many times in fighting for what we believe have we also struggled with the anxiety that it will never come to pass? How many times have we fought for someone else only to see them pushed back and wondered why in the world are we putting energy toward this? Joy and justice feels like an oxymoron and the uh, proliferation of the news and social media sometimes only makes things worse. I can remember just the other day, I was sitting in a boardroom literally two days ago, and I was sitting around people who I knew didn't quite understand what the fight for justice was all about. Have you ever been there? And I made my assumptions going in, and I gave myself my pep talk outside the door. Listen here, you're going to go in there, you're going to speak what you speak, you're going to make your forehead like Flynn, you're not going to care what they say, and shame on them for not hearing you. I built myself up and I sat in that courtroom. It wasn't a courtroom, it was a boardroom. And I waited, you know how it is. I was waiting for the right time. God, give me the right time. God, give me the right time. Let this word land like a bomb. I mean, land gently. And Lord, please let people be stirred and disrupted and changed forever and let them not be able to rest until justice is done in Jesus' name. And I found my opening. And I said, can I ask you a question? Because you know that's always the right thing to do. Women know how to do this so well. Um. Perhaps, maybe, I don't know. You might be wrong. I don't know. I'm just asking. Amen. <laughs> and so, you know, I mustered up my strength, and I said, "Can I? can I just ask you a question about a strategy for what is becoming the rise of the next generation? Can I ask you about your strategy regarding black people and Hispanic people in particular and your strategy regarding women? And can I ask you how we intend to reach out to them? And in this boardroom, it was absolutely silent. And in this boardroom, there was, (laughs) no, and in this boardroom, there was, it wasn't just the silence because the truth is injustice. We can deal with the silence. But what is hard is the undercurrent of the enemy's push. And I sensed in that room the undercurrent, and and it would be okay if it stayed out there. It would be okay if I felt like maybe I, you know, I maybe they just didn't hear me, and maybe they just didn't understand. But the tactic of the enemy in moments like that is to get into your mind. And that silence grew, and they gave some pat answer, and they moved on to the next agenda item. And the enemy was telling me, "See, you weren't supposed to say that. You weren't supposed to be here. You're the wrong person at the wrong time." And I left that board meeting and only one person came to me and they said, keep fighting. And then they went to get coffee. And I promise you, I went into the restroom. I said, God, how long? How long do we speak words that feel like they don't land? How long do we have to build ourselves up only to be torn down again? And then you check the Twitter feed or you check the Instagram, and while you're in the boardroom, somebody in the world is dying. Some life is being taken, some injustice is being done. How long, God, shall we suffer? without ever seeing when the end will come. And I believe in planting seeds, and I believe that sometimes you may never get an affirmation, but God knows it's hard to fight and reclaim our joy when justice sometimes makes us feel so alone. And in these moments, I turn to God's word and ask God, how in the world am I supposed to have joy when everything around me feels like this? How in the world can I have joy when somebody I know is struggling? How can I have joy when I know my children will fight harder than anyone else? How can I have joy when I ride from my nice hotel into a place where I know that crime is rising and I know the systems are against them and I know that young black boys are unfairly disadvantaged? How, God? How am I supposed to smile in this? How am I supposed to find joy in this? How am I supposed to wake up and say this is a good day when I know the fight intensifies? And I believe that God reminds us even in this world, we do have an enemy. Because the fight for justice is indeed a fight. And justice requires an understanding of the true enemy. And the enemy is not the people in the boardroom. The enemy is not someone who doesn't look or think like you. The enemy is one who we cannot see. The enemy is Satan himself. And I know I know, there are some who would like to believe that hell is not real and the devil is fictitious. But in the fight for justice, we know more than anybody else that the devil seeks to kill steal and destroy and if we don't recognize who he is then we can't know what we need to reclaim The devil would love for us to be so depressed and so discouraged that we choose not to fight he would love for us to be so frustrated and so anxious that we choose not to speak He would love for us to feel so alone that we choose to isolate ourselves. But not so, says the Lord. God reminds us, I've given you joy. Not some fleeting happiness that comes when um, things turn out the way we want. Joy. Not some pretend smile that ignores the situation or minimizes the consequences. Joy. Joy not something that comes in the morning and goes at night. No, God says I've given you joy, deep joy, abiding joy, joy that gives you strength and power, joy that gives you the ability to cruise through the tough times without letting other people see you sweat, joy, joy that made our ancestors sing even while they were beaten, joy that makes martyrs smile even while they were stoned, joy that makes us call a funeral a home, going joy says the lord i've given you joy it's this joy that every believer in justice must claim and it's this joy that the enemy is trying to steal and i believe that god wants us not to just stand on this joy but to reclaim it not to just believe it every once in a while, but to claim it, to own this joy, to make God's joy ours. Because if we're going to persevere, if we're going to press forward, if we're going to make this work until Christ comes for us again, we need some joy. Tell your neighbor, you need joy. (laughs) You need joy. In our text today, Paul and Barnabas suffered so many challenges. Their challenges were beyond my little boardroom experience. Their challenges were beyond some of the sufferings we can imagine. They were criticized by the rabbis. They were rejected by the prominent Jews and powerful Greek men and women. They were um, imprisoned and brutalized. And yet in the midst of all this, the Bible tells us they were filled with joy and the Holy Spirit. At a time when it seemed like they were challenged on every hand, how could they have true joy? When they were guaranteed to be persecuted, how in the world could they have joy? And I believe if we can answer these questions for them, then maybe God will give us a hint for ourselves. Because in this fight for justice, we need joy. Somebody say joy. (laughs) The first thing the Bible tells us is that these, these disciples had true joy, I believe one, because they embraced the good news of the gospel they embrace the good news of the gospel and i believe you and i can reclaim our joy and justice when we embrace god's good news When they came into the city, Paul and Barnabas made their way to the synagogue on the Sabbath. And after hearing this reading from the Torah, the Pentateuch, the leaders invited anybody there who had a word from the Lord to speak. Uh, It harkens back to my growing up days in black Baptist churches where we used to have testimony service. We had to cancel testimony service because people don't know what to do with the microphone. But but it was was okay at that time. And so I imagine in my imagination, my own contextual imagination, that it was kind of like a synagogue testimony service. And I imagine in my mind that Paul and Barnabas stood up and in the midst of this synagogue, in the midst of all of those who had gathered there, they began to share the good news of the gospel. They shared about a God who brought the people out of Egypt, out of the land of bondage. They shared about a God who covered them and gave them a covenant and made them his own. They shared about a God who gave them laws and told them to obey, but the people did not obey. He, he talked about how God gave them a king because they asked for a king and how God gave them judges because they asked for judges and how God had to punish them because they didn't do what was right. I believe Paul and Barnabas looked around that crowd and said, yes, God is a God of judgment, but God also did something more. And looking those people in the eye, I can imagine Paul and Barnabas saying, but one day God sent forth the radical judgment. He sent forth Jesus Christ, his own son, who was prophesied in the Old Testament, who was spoken of by Isaiah, who was uh, mentioned in Zechariah, who was spoken of in Micah. And Jesus Christ came to be with us today. And when we didn't obey him, they crucified him and they took his life. But I imagine Paul said, that's not all. Jesus died, but on the third day he rose again. And he didn't just raise, he rose with power in his hands. And he didn't just have power, he gave that power to you and to me. And that's why we are here. I imagine Paul and Barnabas looked around. And in the midst of this testimony service, they shared the good news of the gospel. And that alone brought them joy. You see, sometimes I I think we forget just how good the good news is. Sometimes I think we forget what the gospel is all about. The gospel is not just somebody's message. It's the message of God for the world. The gospel is about dismantling social paradigms. The gospel is about disrupting systems. The gospel is about turning what was up and making it down and bringing what was weak and making it strong about taking who was lowly and making them the top, about making those who were at the top and putting them in the back. The gospel is about taking those who are last and making them first and taking those who were first and putting them to the back and when you think about the gospel That ought to bring you joy. It ought to make you smile that God came and sent his own son. It ought to make you happy that God came and saw about us. It ought to make us glad that God came to be born from a young teenage girl. That he came into the world and battled as we battled and fought as we fought and believed as we believed and rose again. And one day he's coming for us again. And if the gospel doesn't bring you joy, <laughs> I don't know what will.
1: Well, I'm here with Justin Gibney and Michael Ware of The End Campaign. They are the authors of the book Compassion and Conviction, The End Campaign's Guide to Faithful Civic Engagement. Now, Justin, in the book, you talk a lot about different disciplines whether it's compassion and conviction, message and rhetoric, truth and love, all these different concepts and what do you say to the people who are just overwhelmed by by having to master all of them right or having to feel like they need a working knowledge of all of these ideas because it's it's this is not based on the book but this is just based on politics if you think about it from a healthcare perspective economics Uh, from race uh, from criminal justice you're just looking around you're saying then we don't even get into foreign policy all these things it just feels overwhelming and so the narrative is so much easier so the narrative is just easier to grab onto it's just easier to kind of ride that wave what would you say to the christians who are just who are frozen and who say i'll just reduce it down to the narrative because it's it's so much easier for me and i just want to talk about this one thing can I talk about just this one issue? <laughs> Can I master this one discipline, right? There's one element of politics. What do you say to those who are overwhelmed by even approaching the depths and the, the complexity of faithful civic engagement?
3: Welcome to the club. You know, I, there's no way, and Michael will tell you, I can't master all it, all this stuff or, or talk about every issue in an informed manner. And that's why I really believe that even in politics, even in our civic engagement, we have to act as a body. We need to act through institutions. Because we know that we all have different gifts, that we all bring something to the table. And Ephesians 4, you know, Ephesians 4 talks about how we mature together, that we don't mature as individuals. We do that together. Uh, and, and, and as we mature, then we can grasp onto the truth. But I'm never going to be. You know, there's some things that Tyler's going to be able to communicate that I'm never going to be able to compute, communicate or understand in the same way. But when we act through institutions, we can really, uh, you know, we can really get a lot of things done, even with my limitations. And I think that's one thing our society really has to get back into institutions. There's just kind of an irreverence towards institutions, really, because we've had so many failures of leadership and institutions. So I get that. But don't don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Right. Make sure that you understand that need for institutions, because when we're talking about social change, you're talking about something that takes commitment and endurance. And that's hard to have on your own. Uh, But institutions cultivate those type of things. Right. They help us. Uh, understand why it's value and when in the moments when I get weak in the moment when I can't put out a tweet that's positive or that's productive I hope that Tyler can put something out there right Uh, and and I can retweet him because I just don't have it today but if we we act as individuals we're not going to be able to do that so I I would say don't feel bad about not being able to get everything but understand the values of the value of institutions to help us do that and and kind of fill in our blind spots and, and our weaknesses.
1: Yeah, that's so interesting because there's a paradox in the sense of many of us, as you rightly uh, pointed out, are anti-institution just based upon what we've seen before. Yet the thing that would probably help us accomplish our goals and the things that we think are the proper values are the institutions, right? Properly, properly expressed, properly constructed. And, And I love that idea of collaboration as well, which is, okay. well, there's 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 not just one person or there's not just one group that's pushing this forward, that's moving forward. Uh, Michael, as, as you think through that, what do you say to the people who are, who are frozen and overwhelmed, but also those who are frozen and overwhelmed by having the kind of feel the need to convince But you guys have done a really interesting job of connecting and explaining, especially in the book, why you believe certain things. So you've created this framework. You talked about how framework is important. You guys have done a really good job of, okay, these are how, this is how we approach this based upon scripture, based upon the political process. Okay, this is why there's a connection here. This is why we say that. So what do you say to the, to the Christians who are overwhelmed by having to construct that or feel like, man, I, I feel like it doesn't really reach the people that I'm trying to convince or it doesn't really reach the, the community that I'm trying to change you know, what would you, what would be your, your encouragement to them?
4: This is an exhausting time and we're exhausted for a reason. The exhaustion is on, is on purpose. I mean, that, that, that's how the system is right now. And so you have a political system where it's not, it's not only those who uh, are right, who know everything, who are participating. It's often a system where it's just, only those who think they're right about everything are participating, and everyone else is just like, well, if I if I don't have the utmost confidence, if I haven't read all the books, if I don't look as citizens and as Christians, you're responsible for being faithful with what you have. And so, I, I, I want to relieve some of the moral burden people feel that oh gosh, if I get something wrong, if I support something but it turns out not to be right, uh, then, then oh it, you know this is going to really uh, no you, you have you hold the office of citizen in this country your voice is needed do the work that you can do understand that you have all these different roles. You're a parent, you're an aunt, you're a son, daughter, you you got a job. Uh, Look, not everyone has to be a political professional. Uh, Actually, thank goodness for that. (laughs) I wouldn't want to live in a world where everyone was a political professional. You should bring your experiences, your intellect, the the voices of those around you, and, and, and that should inform your political involvement as it is. I actually think it's okay if your experiences have been, if your life has been shaped by education in a profound way or the, fo- or the foster care system or criminal justice or uh, health, I think it's okay to be focusing on issues where your passions and your intellect and your experiences meet. Like that's okay, but as Justin said, be aware that that's not the only experience, that's not the only thing that's not the only thing that's going on. And we live in a very complicated world. So, yeah, I mean, I just want to affirm what Justin said about, about in- institutions, working through institutions, that you don't have to do everything yourself in politics. You don't have to bear that burden yourself. Um, and so yeah, I, I think it's a critical question. Hopefully, compassion and conviction in this book. Relieves It gives people some basic resources and tools that they need to feel empowered to engage in the political process without taking on undue sort of moral burden that they have to figure everything out. That, that's not the goal here. Just make your contribution, your heartfelt contribution in faithfulness to God. And that will be used in the process uh, in a way that I think is helpful. Well,
1: gentlemen, the book is Compassion and Conviction, The End Campaign's Guide to Faithful Civic Engagement. Justin Gibney, Michael Weir of The End Campaign, thank you so much for your work and thank you for doing the hard work, the difficult work of giving us a framework for faithful civic engagement. We appreciate it.
0: This episode is brought to you in part by Pittsburgh Theological Seminary. Pittsburgh Theological Seminary students are grounded in faith and formed in community. PTS students are preparing for ministry with Master of Divinity, Master of Arts, Doctor of Ministry, and certificate programs. Begin your master's or certificate program in person or online. Financial aid is available. Visit pts.edu admit.
2: The believers were filled with joy because they understood the good news of the gospel. And indeed, my brothers and sisters, it is good. But also I believe the believers were filled with joy because they understood what it meant to be chosen. They understood what it meant to be chosen. And you and I can reclaim our joy and justice when we understand what it means that we've been chosen. Tell your neighbor, you've been chosen. You've been chosen. Although this message was preached by Paul and Barnabas to a mixed crowd, the Bible tells us that the early adopters were the Gentiles. The ones who got it first were the ones who weren't allowed. The structure of the synagogue is as it is today, in many cases an octagon, in many cases like this sanctuary with windows to the top, so that the the believers in there would be reminded to lift their eyes to the hills from which cometh their help. And in the time of the synagogue, during Jesus' time, the important seats were saved for the rabbis. They were in the center of the synagogue. And then after them were the wealthy people. That was the wealthy men around the rabbis. And then after them were the prominent men. And then after them were sometimes the women sometimes allowed in, sometimes permitted to stand outside. And then after the important circles were filled inside, there were often those who stood outside. And outside the synagogue were those who didn't belong. They were the lepers, the unclean, the ones who weren't allowed in. We know this because we see beggars in the New Testament sitting outside the synagogue because they weren't allowed in. We know this because sometimes women had to sit on the outside. They weren't always allowed in. And as they delivered the word, the good news of the gospel, the people who received it were not the prominent teachers in the front. They were not the wealthy people who were permitted to They were not the men who surrounded the synagogue. No, the people who received the message of God were those who weren't allowed in. And when they heard and understood that Jesus was for them, that the gospel was for them, the Bible says they received the word with gladness. And I believe that there's something about knowing that the word came for you. You see, we can't really rejoice in this until we understood that the the world didn't choose you. In fact, if it was up to the world, you wouldn't be where you are right now. If it was up to the world, you would have died and your ancestors would have died in the middle passage. If it was up to you, you would have been on that freedom bus and you too would have been assassinated. If it was up to you, in fact, somebody right now is probably strategizing on how to take your job or steal your position or take your power. If it was up to the world, you wouldn't have any Part in this story, but aren't you glad that Jesus said not so? He said, "When the world didn't choose you, I still make you mine. When the world says no to you, I say yes to you. When you're rejected by important people, you'll be accepted by me." Uh, let me give you an example. I, I, I was when I was in middle school, um, Jamar. I, I'm, I confess, I wasn't very athletic. I wasn't like tall like Kimmy or Natasha. I, I, you know, I, I couldn't like, I wasn't very good at those things. I wasn't fast. I, I wasn't very good at all so in middle school we always had team captains y'all remember those days, we had the same captains and so the team captains would always pick who they thought needed to be on their team and every single time, every single time in middle school, every single time, it was me and JK and I loved JK, JK was a good friend, but JK also couldn't see and he couldn't hear so it was always me and JK left at the end of the teams and JK couldn't see and couldn't hear and then when the team captains came time to pick the very last two people, me and jk they would look at the both of us and they'd say oh i'll take jk And then I would saunter off to the team that was left over. I was never picked. I was never selected. I was never given the team jersey. I was never the choice selection. And I've gone through life often thinking that maybe I wasn't the chosen one. Maybe there were others that God wanted more than me. But one day I came into the revelation that if I'm going to do this work, I've got to believe that God chose me. God appointed me. God remembered me. God called me. And not only am I a leftover, but God says you are the one I've wanted all along. It wasn't just you because you were left. It was you because you're the right one. It wasn't you because nobody else would do it. It was you because God wanted you all along. It wasn't you because you're the only one who would it's you because you're the only one who could God says to us we've been chosen and that friends ought to bring us joy so not only did the believers have joy because of the good news of the gospel, not only did the believers have joy because they understood what it meant to be chosen, but I believe the believers also had joy because they were filled with the Holy Spirit. They had joy because they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And if you and I are going to do this work, if we're going to have joy and justice, we must learn how to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And this season, in this verse 50, in this verse 50, it says that, that the prominent people in the town started to influence the other prominent people. And it says they tried to influence the notable men and the women of this city. And, and because they were able to influence people in power, it looked like power had won. It looked like those in power were able to push out the dissenters. And sometimes it can look like that sometimes. It can look like the, the those in power will always win. And power can be identified and unpacked in many, many different ways. But the men and women of that town successfully pushed Paul and Barnabas out of the city. And I love, I love this little verse. It says, when they got out of the city, they shook the dust off their feet and went on to the next town. And I want to pause and let you know that there are some fights that you should persevere and fight but then there are sometimes God says shake that dust off your feet and go on to the next town and then we have to learn to discern when God is saying shake it off and when he's saying pack it on and for Paul and Barnabas God said shake it off but for those who were left God was saying pack it on You see, there are those who are called to make change in the system and those who are called to make change outside of the system. And the two can never look on the other with shame or pointing fingers because God requires both for justice to happen. So Paul and Barnabas went to the next town, but the believers were left in that town. And then something curious happened. It says the believers who were left were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. So the prominent people in the town thought, if we cut off the head, the body will die. If we push out the leaders, the movement will not last. But they discounted a figure. They discounted something critical. They forgot about the Holy Spirit. They discounted the fact that these words were not coming from men. These words were not coming from people. These words were coming from God, and if God lived in the people, then the movement and the justice and the message and the gospel would continue beyond those who served. And so I I find it interesting here that they they parallel joy and the Holy Spirit, because joy is indeed a fruit of the Spirit. So technically speaking, you can't have joy without the Holy Spirit. And technically, you can't have the Holy Spirit without also having joy. The two go hand in hand. So since they had accepted the good news, they were filled with the Spirit. And since they were filled with the Spirit, they were also filled with joy. Now, this Greek word here, fulfilled, doesn't mean just full enough. It means full to the brim. It means full to the point of overflowing. (laughs) Having heard the message of the gospel, the believers were full to the brim, to the point of overflowing with the Holy Spirit. What would your life look like if you were full to the point of overflowing with God's Spirit? What would your ministry look like if you were overflowing with God's Spirit when we allow ourselves to be full of God's Spirit, God can demonstrate through us what is not humanly possible. When we are full with God's Spirit, He can demonstrate healing through us. He can demonstrate encouragement through us. God can demonstrate wisdom through us. When we're full of God's Spirit, God can bring prophecy through us. He can increase faith through us. God can bring intercession through us. And when we're full of the Spirit, we can have God's joy regardless of what's happening around us. Now I hear you asking how in the world can I be filled with the Spirit? Is this some Pentecostal charismatic thing, some bad theology? The Bible says no. The Bible lets us know if you have a relationship with God, then you are full of the Holy Spirit. You don't have to run around, you don't have to jump through hoops, but if you believe in God's word, the book of Acts tells us they believed the message and they were filled. They believed the message And they were filled. And I want to know today, is there anybody here who believes the message of God? Is there anybody here who believes that God is who God says he is? And that's why I'm glad today. Because if I know God, I know joy. If I believe in God, I can have joy. And if I have joy, I can be full, full to the brim with God. God's holy spirit. Well, let me, let me let me give you an example just, just so you understand. Uh, a few months ago, I was at my favorite restaurant, my favorite breakfast spot, and I found that one of the things that recharges me is having a huge breakfast. I, don't, I can't speak for you, but I'm one of those. I need pancakes. I need some pork of some sort, sorry, <laughs> vegans. I need some kind of caffeine. Sorry to those of you who believe in decaf and all of that. So I had my full, full arrangement here, and I had my iPad, and I had my Bible, and so I'm working on my work, and I made my coffee just the way I like it. Tyler knows because he stole all the cream this morning just for me. Sorry to those of you who didn't get cream in your coffee. So I, I had my coffee made just right, and I took a couple sips of my coffee, and I turned over to start reading the word and start working through what I had to do for the day. I went back to my coffee and it looked just a little bit darker than when I'd started. I thought that was curious. Add a little more cream, put in a little more sugar, stirred my coffee, took a couple sips, just right. I turned back to the other side. I'm looking at the Bible, reading my devotional. I turned back to my coffee. Lo and behold, it's darker than it was before. What is going on? One last time, I'm making my coffee just the way I like it. I drink, and this time, I'm looking over. I'm looking at the Bible, I'm looking over. I'm looking at the Bible, I'm looking over. And I caught her mid-act. This waitress was standing behind me with the coffee pot in hand just waiting for a little bit of room in my cup so that she could come and fill it up. I want to let you know today that we serve a God who is waiting and ready to fill our cups. He's waiting for just a little room. He's waiting for you to get out the way. He's waiting for you to surrender. He's waiting for you to ask for help. And if you have just a little room, I'm a witness. God will fill you up. He'll fill you until you overflow. He'll fill you until your cup runs over. He'll fill you until your family sees it. He'll fill. Until your job will feel it. He'll fill you. Until everybody around you will wonder what is wrong with you. Is there a witness? Say yes, God. Fill me till I overflow. Fill me with the joy of God. Fill me with the power of the Spirit. Fill me until you fill me up. Say thank you, God. up so God I pray right now I pray for every one of my brothers and sisters who might need a bit of filling right now God we confess that sometimes the journey and the fight leave us a little too empty we confess God that sometimes we try to fill ourselves up We try and fill ourselves with things that don't really meet our needs. So we ask that you forgive us in the name of Jesus for all of the false fillings we've tried to use. We pray, Lord, that you alone would fill our cups. And I pray, God, for an overflow of your joy and the Holy Spirit, that what you instill in us would pour out to everyone we serve that people might know it's not just about justice here it's about justice until you come for us again and when you come for us we thank you that you'll fill us for all eternity we thank you that you promised you'd wipe every one of our tears you promised that there would be no sorrow there would be no pain there would be no need for a fight when we get to be with you So until that time, oh God, fill us up. We need you. We love you. And we praise you in the name of Jesus, we pray. Let all God's people say, amen. Amen.